Welcome to the radio ministry of Cedar Grove United Methodist Church. May God fill you and transform you through the work of the Holy Spirit. Now for some music and then Pastor Brian Bully. from John, the 14th chapter. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is, in, is with me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And you may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another. He will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth, 
The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Shall we pray for Ukraine? Heavenly Father, we're seeing reports now out of Ukraine that indicate that the Russians are advancing, using artillery to just destroy everything, including the people there. We ask that you would step in, that you would bring peace to the land, and also that you would bring the knowledge of your son to all the people involved, both in Russia and Ukraine. Walk with them. Show them that there is a better way. This we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, this Easter season, which is coming to a halt today, this Easter season we've talked a lot about the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity. Today we remember the day when the Holy Spirit came upon the assembled followers of Jesus 50 days after Passover, the day known as Pentecost, which comes from the Greek word for 50th. It was celebrated the day after seven complete weeks of seven days had passed. The day was already holy when Jesus walked the earth. In the Jewish calendar, it was the sixth day of the month of Sivan, the festival of Shavuot, the festival of weeks. It celebrated the spring wheat harvest, and it was a day to carry the first fruits of the spring vegetable and fruit harvest to the temple. It was also the day when God made a covenant after the flood with Noah. It was said to be the day when Moses received the law from God at Mount Sinai in 1314 B.C. It was also said to be the day of the birth of King David and the day of his death. And so it became a day for new beginnings in Jewish culture. The world at that time was difficult and miserable. Nine out of ten people struggled on the farm to raise enough food to eat. They worked with wooden sticks instead of metal plows. They had no artificial fertilizers, no hybrid seeds, no antibiotics and vitamins for their livestock. Half of children died before their tenth birthday from starvation or disease. A man or woman who had three sets of clothing was rich, as was a family who owned a horse. Bandits regularly showed up and took what they wanted, while farmers defended themselves with sticks against spears and swords. There were no hospitals. There were no real doctors. Welfare meant that someone might drop a couple of pennies into your begging bowl. Life was short with a life expectancy in the 30s. Most women eventually died in childbirth. The C-section was invented. It had been invented about 100 years earlier, but that was to save the life of the child, not the mother. And there were no painkillers except heavy drink. And in the midst of this miserable world, the disciples had seen Jesus, the man who had come back from death, they saw him return to heaven. They had followed Jesus' commands, returning to Jerusalem and waiting for the power to arrive as he had promised. For ten days they waited in Jerusalem. 
At Peter's suggestion, they had nominated a couple of men to replace the traitor Judas and let the Lord pick Matthias by drawing lots, a custom that the Amish and the Eastern Orthodox still follow when picking leaders. And then they continued to pray, to study scripture, to tell God that they needed him, to wait for God. And for ten long days they waited. Finally, early in the morning on the day of the festival, you can imagine them gathered around in the upper room. It's a room about this size, but with no furniture. The smell of breakfast is beginning to rise up from the cooking fires down below. Some of the men are quietly praying and discussing scripture. And then it happened. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Why tongues of fire? Well, let's go back. In fact, let's go clear back to the beginning to understand this. The Bible says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light and there was light. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. This is our first appearance of the Trinity. God the Creator, who we know as God the Father, Elohim is there. The Spirit, Ruach, was hovering over the waters. And then God speaks, and the Word of God, whom the Apostle John identifies as the Christ, he appears and says, let there be light. What do we associate with flames? Light and heat. So the first appearance of God is associated with light. And later on in Genesis 15, God appears to Abram, the man who will become known as Abraham. He makes a promise, a covenant with Abram. Abram kills a heifer, a goat, and a ram, he, along with a dove and a young pigeon. And in verse 17, when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. Once again, a flame showed the appearance and the presence of God. Moses met God in Exodus 3. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from, a, from within a bush. Moses saw that the bush was on fire, but it did not burn up. And so Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses. Moses. Once again, a flame showed the presence of God. And later, on the way out of Egypt in Exodus 13, Moses and the Israelites were guided by God out of Egypt, as it says in verse 21. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on the way, and by night, a pillar of fire to give them light so they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of Fire by night left its place in front of the people. The flame of God helped them know they were on the right path. And in chapter 19 of Exodus, God told Moses that he would speak with Moses in front of the people so they'd put their trust in Moses. In verse 18 of that chapter, it says, Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. 
in the tabernacle and then in the temple. There were constantly kept burning oil lamps. These flames were always kept burning. In fact, when the Syrian general Antiochus Epiphanes conquered Jerusalem and desecrated the temple in 168 BC by sacrificing a pig on the altar of the temple, the Maccabee family led a revolt and rededicated the temple. Unfortunately, they could only find a small jug of oil that had not been desecrated. It had not been desecrated because it was sealed up, but it only had enough oil to keep the flame of the menorah burning for a single day, but God made the, the flames miraculously last for eight days, by which time more oil was found and consecrated. This is celebrated as Hanukkah. And once again, flames had shown God's presence. And so when the tongues of fire came to rest on the disciples in the upper room that morning, and they began to praise God in many different languages, the disciples quickly understood that this was God's presence among them. Furthermore, that day, the day of first fruits, the day celebrating the harvest, took the disciples back to Jesus' teaching that the fields are ripe for the harvest, but the workers are few. A great harvest of souls, the first fruits of the kingdom, was ready to be found. What would happen? And one final theme was drawn back together by the languages. Almost 2,000 years early, earlier, the Tower of Babel story in Genesis 11 had separated people from as God made the workers of Babel unable to understand each other because of their different languages. The people of that time, they were working together for their greatness. They were working together in an attempt to become equal to God. Now on the morning of Pentecost, people from many different countries suddenly found they could understand each other. But what were they saying? Were they working against God like the people at Babel? No. Were they speaking gibberish that no one could understand? No. They were declaring the wonders of God to each other in different languages that they and their listeners could each understand because they were filled with the power that the Holy Spirit gave them. God was working with them. God was working through them and they were praising God. Imagine that we had visitors today from Mexico, France, India, Brazil, maybe Nigeria, Japan, China, Ukraine. Furthermore, imagine that the ladies and men in the back suddenly began giving their testimony, not in the English language, but the languages of the visitors. Larry, Larry speaks in French. Karen speaks in Hindu. Brenda, she speaks in Japanese. Jim spoke in Chinese. Kenny in Portuguese. Patty gives her testimony in Swahili. And Pauline, she stood up and declared the wonders of God in Spanish. That's what was happening that morning. Now naturally to the people outside, this sounded like a drunken argument. Someone yelled at them, they've been drinking too much wine. And then Peter, he'd had enough. Remember, that Peter had been a boat captain. He was out on the lake many nights. He'd been inside many storms, and he still had to control that boat. 
And he just spent the last few weeks reading scripture inside and out. And so he knew that it was time to take charge. He got the other 11 disciples together. He pulled them out of the 120 followers who were present that morning, had them line up with him. The 12 all walked up to the edge of the roof and looked down at the crowd. And then in his full, loud boat captain's voice, Peter shouted down and out at the crowd, Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You see, the Jews of Jesus' day, they knew about the Holy Spirit. They weren't ignorant, but they had not experienced the Spirit themselves. In the Old Testament, you see, the Spirit had come upon different men and women from time to time. The man who became King Saul had received the Spirit and prophesied. Samson had been possessed by the Spirit and become a great warrior when the Spirit was on him. David had listened to the Spirit and written many wonderful poems. A prophet here, a couple prophets there. They had been filled by the Spirit and they'd spoken God's words. Men like Elijah and Daniel and Isaiah and Ezekiel. They had spoken what God asked them to speak. For remember that prophecy doesn't just mean predictions about the future, but it's also inherently the ability to speak on behalf of God, both about the future, but also about the present and even the past. All the authors of the Old Testament books had been guided by the Holy Spirit, writing what God wanted written. And Jesus had been filled with the Spirit repeatedly. In fact, the Spirit had filled him at his baptism and was with him through his ministry. But this, on that morning, this was new. For now the Spirit was being poured out, not dropped out like a couple drops here and a couple drops there, but poured out, not on a single anointed leader, not on a small group of prophets, but on a group of 120 assembled followers of Jesus, men and women and teenagers, perhaps even some children. This had been predicted by the prophet Joel to happen in the last days where he had said, your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams, even on my servants, both men and women, God said, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. They will speak on behalf of God. And the prophecy was happening right before their eyes. Men and women were speaking on behalf of God, testifying about God's greatness, letting people know that God was great, God was powerful, and God was present in their lives today. You know, there are people today who argue that the wonders and the power and the speech of the Holy Spirit stopped when the last apostles died. But since the beginning of the Methodist movement, since John Wesley experienced the power of listening to the Holy Spirit, Methodists as a group have rejected this idea, even though some... Pro Preachers have rejected the Spirit. 
we believe that the Spirit still speaks through people, both men and women, and we still believe that there is power just waiting to be tapped in that same Spirit as long as we're doing what God wants. There are also people today who argue that speaking in unintelligible languages is the definitive mark of a saved Christian. And this idea is also rejected by Methodists as a whole, although there are always some preachers who believe this. For what we believe is that while it's possible for the Spirit to use striking wonders to get our attention, the Spirit comes to each person differently. One person may indeed perform healing miracles, but another may simply be able to discern good from evil very clearly. A third may speak of the future, while a fourth may be able to understand someone who cannot speak English. Another person may be given exceptional wisdom, while another may be able to see the danger in a course of action or in a crack in the wall of a building. Still another may be filled with compassion for hurting children, while another has the gift of being able to help disabled older adults. No single manifestation of the Spirit is definitive except what Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 12.3. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the, Son of, by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit's wise enough to work with everyone in different ways that the body of Christ may be strong and adaptable. Don't feel slighted because of the gifts that you have. Instead, ask the Spirit what you should use your gifts for. For example, my wife has the ability, the gift, of being able to speak on the phone, making phone calls to many people for hours on end, helping people with personal problems repeatedly. Not me. I can make phone calls, yeah, but not for hours on end. I, on the other hand, I can read complicated writings, pull together ideas from the Bible with philosophy and psychology, even quantum mechanics and engineering in several different languages and come up with sermons and ideas and put them down on paper. And I can sing and play the piano. The Spirit's given me these gifts. Just as the Spirit has determined that Annette can play the piano, and Darla and Brenda and Shelley and Donna and Mika and Jerry can sing well. Susan Lemon has a gift with beautifying our world with plants. Pauline can decorate our church wonderfully. Donna and Darlene make our children feel welcome and appreciated here. Kenny has a gift with earth-moving equipment. And Roger has a gift of generosity. Tracy and David and Mark have been, able, have been gifted with the modern gifts of understanding technology. Tanya is bold and able to speak about God in her workplace. You may still be discovering your spiritual gifts, for the Spirit gives us new gifts over the years. But understand this. You know, in the kitchen, there are some people who are highly gifted, able to make souffles and fancy dishes and wonderful desserts and five-course meals. That's not me. Like most adults, though, I can make toast. I can heat up Campbell's soup. I can prepare a ham and cheese sandwich, and I can microwave a hot dog. I can do this because I'm an adult human without disability, simply with a bare minimum knowledge of a kitchen. And I've practiced to the point where I think I'm pretty good at microwaving hot dogs and Campbell's soup. 
in the same way, you think that's funny, do you? <laughs> in the same way, certain gifts are given to each and every Christian who listens to the Spirit and chooses to practice. It's the bare minimum that we're able to do simply because we're Christians. Among those general spiritual gifts are the ability to say, Jesus is Lord, and mean it. Also, the ability to praise God to family, friends, and neighbors. That just takes some practice, that's all. There's the ability to love other people. Very difficult if you don't have the Spirit. But if you've got the Spirit, it just takes practice by looking for the opportunities to love other people through service and words and generosity. We who have the Spirit have the ability to practice and be nice to other people, to speak kindly, to help others who are in need. Some people may have a special spiritual gift of generosity and be able to give a gift of thousands of dollars, but almost all Christians can practice and keep a dollar or two back in our wallet or purse to give to another in need. So practice your specific gifts but also practice the general gifts of the Spirit that everyone who has been baptized and received the Spirit has. That day in Jerusalem, I want you to notice, everyone praised God to others. And hundreds of people came running to hear the good news. After Peter preached his sermon then, over 3,000 people were baptized that day and became Christians. The church grew that day by almost 30 times, from 120 followers to over 3,000 followers of Jesus. And it can happen here. I want you to think about this. What God has done once, God can do again. So what does this mean for us almost 2,000 years later? We are not helpless. We don't struggle in this world with just our own talents and abilities. The Holy Spirit of God is with us, giving us guidance, giving us power, giving us the spiritual gifts that allow us to accomplish God's mission. The same Spirit that led people to help you understand the love of Christ now is ready to work through each of us to change the world. For nearly 2,000 years, the Holy Spirit of God has given guidance toward a better world, a more comp compassionate world, a nicer world to Christians who have listened. They've developed medicine, charity, labor-saving inventions, better ways to make food more available, life-saving drugs, peaceful communities. When we grow depressed about our world today and think how bad it is, Think back to when Mary and Joseph traveled a hundred long miles with a donkey. They had an infant on the way, an infant that would be born in a dirty stable. And those surroundings, unfortunately, weren't really all that unusual because the vast majority of people were so desperately poor. Life was much more difficult back then. But through Christian work over the centuries, it has changed. Christians living to the Holy Spirit, listening to the Holy Spirit with the guidance and power of the Holy Spirit have changed the world drastically over 2,000 years. When you think about how far we've come, it's time to recognize that you, you personally, with the Holy Spirit and Christian friends, you can change the world around you for the better. For if you're listening to God, doing what God wants, with the power of God, the Holy Spirit behind you, what can stop you? 
So start thinking about how you can use your gifts to help promote and accomplish our Vacation Bible School coming up July 18th through 20th. Start thinking about how you can use your gifts to help promote and accomplish revival sometime in September. And think about how you can get involved with the Oktoberfest Street Fair. Think about whether or not you can help in our rapidly growing children's ministry or come up with something else. And so we'll begin to change this town for the better. And if you're listening on the radio or on Facebook, come and join us in this mission. We'll find a place for you to put your talents and gifts to work improving this world around us. But don't just sit there or just listen, expecting nothing much to happen. The Holy Spirit, God the Father, and the Word, Word of God, who is Jesus Christ, once said, let there be light. And there was light. The same God created the sun and the moon. We're not playing around with mere words or toys when we ask the Holy Spirit to get involved. When we ask for the Holy Spirit to come and fill us, we're asking for the one power that can truly change the world, indeed the entire universe, to come to us and work through us. Pray that we would be doing what the Spirit wants us to do. For the living fire from God that came down at Pentecost is still here, waiting to burn brightly and set the world on fire again. Will you help fan that flame? As you come forward to receive the communion elements, the bread which Jesus said was his body, and the juice which he said was his blood, take them and then go to the altar to hear from God's Spirit about your part in changing the world for the better. And thank Jesus that he chose to shed his blood for us. Cedar Grove United Methodist Church and Pastor Brian Boley would like to thank you for listening to last week's pre-recorded sermon. Join us live this Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and on Facebook. We are located on Route 47, a mile and a half east off I-77, just across from WVU Parkersburg campus. Donations may be mailed to Cedar Grove UMC, 168 Old Turnpike Road, Parkersburg, West Virginia, 26104. Or you can text the word GIVE to 1304-244-1903 or visit our website, cedargroveunitedmethodist.org and click on the GIVE tab. This will bring up a form where you can determine how much you would like to give. Thank you and God bless you in your life.